0: Well, good morning, church, and thanks for joining us today. If you're new to church, new to Journey, thanks for joining us. We're always excited to have new people. You are the lifeblood. We love bringing new people into the kingdom of God, and hopefully you'll get something out of today's message and the fellowship that we are creating at this church we call Journey. Uh, we haven't really had an update, and so let me give you a few updated items that we can talk about so that you can have an understanding of where we're at. Currently, the community center is not open and won't be open anytime soon. We also can't get a park permit from the park and rec. We've been trying for the last six weeks and really have gotten nowhere. So we're looking for places that we can gather uh, on a regular basis. And so just know that we are being diligent and looking for a place and uh, knowing that fellowship is critical to keeping the church alive. One of the things that you can do is come to uh, the uh, August 30th baptism. We'll do some fellowship, bring your own stuff, and we'll just come together and celebrate and, and be in fellowship on that day. And every month we'll try and find something to do until we can get back to normal. More importantly, though, you should be in a community group. They're critical, they're impactful, and they will change the way that you, uh, grow in your faith with God. I promise you they will. And so hopefully, if you don't, uh, if you missed out this time, join one. It's a really small, uh, um, commitment, and I promise you, you'll get a lot out of it. The other way that you can do it is if you're inviting five people, invite them to your house or your backyard or watch the service together and create your own community. And watch God use that to grow you as well. Another thing we should talk about is financial uh, items. We are weathering through the storm. Summer has been a little bit light financially, but we continue to follow through on our commitments Uh, We are paying the staff, we're paying our missionaries, we're paying the bills, and we're also giving money to ministries that are in need because that's one of the solutions to life in the kingdom of God is constantly giving, even when we might have a little less than normal. So let me give you some things that we've given to the last four or five months. In May, we gave to the Gabriel's house, which is a place that takes care of women and children. And we're a part of that. And so we gave to help them cover their bills in May. And in June, we gave to some churches in Mexico because they had a need. The churches were struggling because the people in their congregations weren't working because of the COVID virus. And so they had a huge need for just basic necessities of food. And so we gave a generous gift on behalf of you guys. In July, we're helping build a church in Slovakia. My friend Noah and Jeremy's friend Noah, where we've sent missionaries over, is trying to build a church in his backyard like the way Journey started. And so he needed some help. And so we sent some money to help him build the new church set up in his backyard. And in August, we'll be looking to do the same thing. Giving is always a great solution for the kingdom of God. The other thing that's always exciting and one of the things I'm most uh blessed by is over the last few months that we've been in this pandemic, people in Journey have given and we've been able to give tens of thousands of dollars in benevolence funds to families in this community. It's been so awesome to see one hand feed the other hand of God. And and it really has warmed my heart, my family's heart, and many people in this community because of the benevolence giving. And so that's so exciting, and it's really a blessing. So when you give, just realize we are also giving to other people. We aren't holding it. We're using it to grow the kingdom of God because we are on a mission to love the world one person at a time. Pandemic or no pandemic, we are going to be a giving church. So thank you for all that giving, and I challenge you, just keep praying for us, pray for the church, and get a part of that prayer challenge thing, and I promise you, once we are praying together, we will see God move powerfully. Well, we're doing this sermon series this summer called Kings and Covenants. Every summer, we try and put a 12-week sermon series, so if you miss a few, you'll kind of always know we're on the same sermon. The last three weeks have been awesome. Uh, last time I taught, I talk, taught about the wilderness, and we become the person we're supposed to be by what we do in the wilderness. The, the more that we use the wilderness for the benefit uh God shapes us and molds us to make us the person we're supposed to be. That was a couple of weeks ago. And then Jeremy had this really interesting, reflective message about King Saul, reflecting his life and as he's coming to the end of life, how he got to this place. And it was a really interesting message. I've watched it twice and really got got a lot out of it. And then last week, Dustin talked about waiting and took this very unique I would say a tough piece of scripture, and he taught us a lot about waiting and that God is in control and that we've got to wait and and utilize the anointing until God puts us into the place that he's appointed us to be. All great messages. We are so blessed with many great teachers at our church. Today, I want to talk about King David and mercy. I want to kind of spin today's message understanding what mercy means. And I feel like if you truly understand what mercy means, it will change the concept of the kingdom of God in your life. And you will become an amazing, different, beautiful person because of the mercy hand of God. So hopefully by the end of the message, mercy will make more sense to you. The apostle Paul knew this. And there's this moment where he's teaching in Acts chapter 13 to the church in Antioch. And he's trying to explain who King David was and how Jesus is the son of David and how it's from David that the there will always be a Messiah and, uh, from David's bloodline. And that Messiah's name is Jesus Christ, the son of David. And at the end of his message in Antioch, he comes up with this topic or this concept calling, uh, telling the people in the church about the sure mercies of David. And that's an interesting phrase, and really what this phrase means is God is going to bestow the promises that he gave David upon all the people who believe in Jesus Christ. That's the sure mercies of David. God is going to give that sure mercy of David to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And, and towards the end of this message, the Apostle Paul quotes, quotes Isaiah 55, verse 3, and here's what it says. Incline your ear and come to me. This is kind of what Paul's referring to. And he says, Here and your soul shall live. Isaiah's prophesying about this, the son of David coming into the world and giving our life uh, and our soul's life after this earthly life. He said, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you salvation in this eternal covenant and I will give you even the sure mercies of David is what it says. And those sure mercies are the promises of God through the line of King David. I hope that makes sense. It will a little bit later. And so here's my main thesis or my main point or big idea. Two things that are endless in this world, the foolishness of humans and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Constantly in this world, there's going to be foolish men, women, and children. And constantly in this world, there will be the mercy of Jesus Christ. They will be endless. And I think that's the idea that I want you to walk away with. So as we kind of dig into this concept of mercy, I want to talk about grace and mercy first and kind of pull them apart because a lot of times we use them interchangeably but really they have different attributes. And so we need to separate them so that you can understand and grow in mercy, but also understand the difference between grace and mercy. So here's some simple definitions of grace and mercy. Mercy is the decision of God not to punish us because we are sinners. But grace is the decision of God to save us and bless us and give us eternal life. In his mercy... God does not give us the punishment we deserve, namely hell, because we are sinners, while in his grace, God gives us this free gift we do not deserve, namely heaven, so that we can have eternal life with him. So let me kind of break it down in a very rudimentary or simple way, maybe not so theologically perfect, but mercy is kind of the negative side and grace is kind of the positive side. God gives us mercy because and because of that we don't go to hell and he gives us grace so that we get to go to heaven and live that free eternal life with Jesus Christ when we believe in his son Jesus. Mercy is kind of the negative side and grace is the positive side and hopefully that kind of helps you understand. Either way you need to know this God gives grace and mercy to the unworthy and oh are we unworthy and we desperately need his grace and mercy. So now that you have a definition, let's kind of dig into what the apostle Paul was writing in Acts 13 and something that we're gonna talk about in 2 Samuel chapter nine. If you get a chance to open up your Bible, we'll get to there in just a second. Paul is talking about the sure mercies of David or the promise of God uh, that his kingdom will be merciful. Jesus comes into this world and gives mercy to all who believe and even mercy to the unbelievers. Paul's message was about this unfailing love that God has for his people. And it's always, when it's unfailing, it's merciful. I don't know if you realize this, but all through the Old Testament, one of the ways that God dealt with Israel was by the way of mercy. His mercy hand, they call it. And to make his mercy certain, He took a man whom he had chosen, a man whom he loved, a man after his own heart, his name was David, and he put him on the throne so that David could bring down the mercies of God to the people of Israel. And this was kind of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do in the kingdom of God. He was going to bring down the mercy of God to all man, women, and child. So it's a very interesting concept. And so Paul is trying to teach the church about mercy. And it's important that we understand that. So God generously gave David mercy. And because of that, David grew into a man after God's own heart. From an early childhood, the mercy hand of God was upon David. And by the end of his life, he learned and understood mercy. And he grew to become a man after God's own heart. And he's one of the figures in the Bible that we all need to understand and grow from. And one of those ways we can do that is understand the mercy of God and how David received it and became a man after God's own heart. There's five ways that I kind of highlight on how God gave David mercy. And here's the five ways. Number one, by elevating him over his brothers. There's a moment where we saw a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago now, where David was being anointed king. He wasn't even in the room when... Uh, Samuel, the prophet, was looking to anoint the next king. They had to go outside and bring him in and anoint him, and they elevated him, being the youngest, over his brothers. That was the mercy hand of God. God gave mercy to David by saving him from his enemies. David had many enemies. The two main enemies that he had were King Saul who hated him and also the Philistines and constantly we see David being saved from his enemies and that's the mercy hand of God. God generously gave David mercy by promising David this everlasting dynasty or covenant with him. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God declares and decrees that he is going to have someone always from David's bloodline sitting on the throne and ruling the kingdom of God from David's bloodline. That's why Jesus is named the son of David because he's out of David's bloodline and that's the everlasting covenant that God made with him. God chose an imperfect man, David, to utilize him and his bloodline to give a blessing to the world through Jesus Christ. Number four, God gave mercy to David by forgiving him of his many mistakes. You know, David was not a perfect man. Too often we come to church and we think about, uh, everybody being perfect. Oh, he's perfect. She's perfect. Look how well they dress and what kind of car they have. And you need to realize all of us at church are imperfect and have huge problems. We're, we all struggle and have our own sin and our own issue. And too often we come in and we judge and think everybody's better than my, than me and I'm the only sinner in the room. And that's just not true. And God gives us mercy like he gave David. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. David had pride. And I think David was a terrible parent, if you ask me. But God still forgave him as he's forgiving us. He, he, he loves to forgive us and, and give us mercy so that we can grow. And here's number five, God gave David mercy by blessing his family after his death. And that's really cool to me. I love this one. There's a moment in, I think, 1 Kings 5, where King Solomon, David's son, is saying, thank you, Lord, for continuing to give me mercy because of who my father was to you. I hope that happens to me, that one day God will continue to give mercy to my family because of who I was to him. That's just a really awesome way. So God gave David a lot of mercy and David grew because of that mercy. David was given mercy, so then David was challenged or char, uh, one of David's charges was to give mercy to other people. And if you know the story of David, you will, you will see multiple places where David gave mercy throughout his life. He constantly gave mercy to King Saul. We see it over and over the last several weeks about Saul being his enemy and David giving him mercy. Saul was a jealous man, wanted David dead, but every time David gave him mercy, even when he had an opportunity to kill him. I love that part about Dustin's message last week. It's like, Once your enemy's dead, you think you would celebrate, but no, Saul wanted to give him mercy. And we see in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, David makes this decree in the land of Judah that he composed this funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. And he said, everybody needs to learn this song, and we're going to sing this song, and it's going to be a tradition. And the song was called the Song of Bo, because David was a man of mercy. And today we're going to open up to our Bible and uh Second Samuel chapter nine we're going to read these thirteen verses, and it will help us understand mercy. So if you'll open up your Bible or your app, let's dig in and, and and read and then pray and ask God to speak Here's what it says: One day, David asked, "Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone who I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let's stop there and pray." Father, I ask that you use this time to grow us, to help us understand mercy and to use the mercy that you have in our lives to help transform and change this world one person at a time. Lord, give us great discernment and understanding. Help us receive your mercy and give it away as King David did. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. So here we see in this first sentence, is anyone still alive in Saul's family? He continues to elevate King Saul and his family. And he says, I want to show them kindness. This word here is hased, And it means loving kindness and mercy. And this concept, is there anybody in Jonathan or Saul's family that I can show mercy or kindness to? And we're going to dig into that and understand a little bit farther uh, in the text. But I just want you to know, three times in this text, this word mer- or kindness is kind of synonymous to mercy. Unlike uh, grace and mercy that have different connotations or different uh, definitions, loving kindness and mercy are the same in this context. Verse 2 says, He summoned a man named Zeba." Who had been one of Saul's servants? Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am. Ziba replied. Then the king asked him, "Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. This is this word chesed, and it's loving kindness and mercy." Ziba replies, "Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet." Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amameel. And so now he finds that there's someone in Jonathan's family and someone in King Saul's family that he can show this loving kindness, God's kindness to. And so he has him brought to, uh, uh, to King David. Here's what verse five says. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. This is important. So we're going to come back to this a couple different times. But when Mephibosheth comes, he bows low to the ground in deep respect. Remember that. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, and he's in this low posture I am your servant. And you could tell that there's fear in this because David replies, don't be afraid. He's kind of, don't be afraid. It's okay. David says, I intend to show you kindness. I intend to show you kindness to you because of the promise of your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness, and you know what? I'm also going to give you all that your grandfather used to own, and you are going to become a wealthy man instantly, and you're going to sit at the king's table like you're part of my family. Listen, when Mephibosheth came at this point, verse 7 is really the linchpin. It kind of sets up this whole message. When Mephibosheth came, he was expecting to die. Most of the time when there was a former king's family member still alive, they were being called to the king to be killed because they didn't want anybody interfering with their kingship. And that's what Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth expected. So he came with this humble approach with his face on the ground and he paid homages to the king. But King David says, I'm going to show you this word Hassad. Now, if you've been in our church several years or the last couple years, Jeremy has broke down this word beautifully a couple different times, and it's because its, import, it's an important word. In the Old Testament, 250 times this word chesed is used, and it's the main term to show God's love. It's an, an important word. But here's the thing: to just translate this word Chesed simply to be in love doesn't adequately convey the rich and depth, the richness and the depthness of God's love. God's love far surpasses human love. Human love doesn't even come close to this Hasid love. It's kind of like the agape love in the New Testament. This word Hasid talks about the richness of God's love. Here's the definition of it. Hasid incorporates mercy and kindness, goodness and grace and loyalty. And each one, each aspect finds its supreme expression in God. This is a godly love. And in this context, in this story, this kindness and mercy that's given to Mephibosheth is this chesed love, but it's this merciful love. It's a very important place for us to be. And this is really the, the crux of the message. Verse eight says, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should sow such kindness to a dead dog like me? This dead dog concept is, is all through First and Second Samuel. This is a, a term of, of people in the day of I, the Israelites at this time kind of saying, I'm unworthy. I'm just a dead dog. At one point, David said that to King Saul as he was chasing him. Why are you chasing a dead dog like me? I'm just a flea on that dead dog. And they're basically saying, I'm unworthy of your time and energy. And that's what Mephibosheth is saying. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Zebah and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth said, but Mephibosheth, your grandson will eat here at my table. Your master's grandson will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now listen, Zeba is ecstatic. He just hit the lottery. He is also receiving mercy here, which is an important thing for us to understand. He's now going to run this farm that King Saul used to have, this this huge expanse of property, and now his sons and his family is going to be rich too. Zeba replies, Yes, my lord, king, uh, the king. I am your servant, and I will do as you commanded. There's Excitement here because he now realizes this is amazing, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of his own sons. And the last two verses kind of summarize this whole uh, story in uh, uh, Second Samuel chapter nine. Mephibosheth had a son named Micah. From then on, all of the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and regularly ate at the king's table. I love this story. I jumped up several chapters just to read this story because I think it's important for us to understand mercy. This story is small and it's short, but in reality, it's big and rich and it's full of loving kindness and mercy. And it's a reflection of God's love for you and me. I was talking to Jeremy and Dustin about the message and Jeremy said, this story, God, is represented by King David and man is represented by Mephibosheth. So God is showing himself and he's foreshadowing what his ministry would be to man through Mephibosheth. So God is represented by David in this story and man is represented as Mephibosheth. You and I are Mephibosheth in this story. Now here's some of my notes. Maybe grab a a piece of paper and jot them down or make a few notes, but here's kind of what I gleaned or got from this story. First of all, we are all weak and lame and fearful like Mephibosheth and we were, we are to or have been separated from our King. We didn't, we were distant and we were weak and lame. We are sinners and have a sin nature and before we know Jesus, we were separated. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are separate, we separate ourselves from the King because we didn't know him or his love for us. Isn't that interesting? I have a distance between me and Jesus because I really don't understand his love for me and I don't have a relationship with the king. That's a great thing for us to glean from this story or learn from this story. If there's separation between me and God, me and Jesus and me and the Holy Spirit, I need to realize that he has great love for me and he wants a relationship with me. And once I do, my whole life will change. Another thing that I learned from this is when we receive the king's kindness or mercy, we need to receive it in humility. There's this moment where Mephibosheth is bowing low and he's, receiving, he's being received by the king, but he's like, I'm going to come in a humble posture. And that's what we need to do. When God gives us mercy, we need to humbly receive it and grow with it and then give it away. Here's my favorite part the king returns to us more than what we lost when we have a relationship with him, the king finally meets Mephibosheth and he returns back all of the riches from King Saul to him and he now becomes a wealthy man. In our relationship with King Jesus, when we get to know him and we have a relationship with him, he gives us back more than we can ever imagine. 10, 30, 100 fold. And that is my experience. You need to realize the experience of God is you know him and you get to understand him and realize his love and mercy for you. And when you have that rich, beautiful, deep relationship, this said love type of relationship with him, he will return back to you all and more than you've ever had. That's been my experience. I used to have a home and make a lot more money than I do today, but God has given me so much more than I've ever had. And it's not about money. It's about how he wants to bless me and how he wants to make me whole. I love that part. The next thing I learned is he doesn't immediately take away our weakness and our lameness. He doesn't kind of wave his magic hand over us or pull a rabbit out of our hat to change all of our issues, all of our struggles, those thorns in the side of our life. But listen to this. He gives us favor and standing that overcomes the sting, the issues that we're struggling. He gives us favor and understanding that overcomes the the sting of life and changes the way we think about ourselves isn't that interesting he doesn't in this story david doesn't fix the lameness or the crippledness of mephibosheth he just gives him standing in favor and 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 that kind of takes away the sting of his crippledness and his lameness and his weakness and his brokenness and it changes the way he thinks about himself. I promise you five years after this, Mephibosheth's probably living the dream and living a life that he never expected because he's had an a, a, a introspective change inside of his heart because of the mercy of David. Here's the last thing. No matter who you are and no matter what you've done, the king, King Jesus has unconditional love for you and endless mercy for you. His love and, and mercy is unconditional and endless. No matter what you've done or what struggle or issue you have, God's love is unconditional and his mercy is endless. I love that. In this simple little story, we learn about mercy. And if you really open up your heart, you will start to understand mercy in a very different way. This story shows us about our relationship with God. It kind of highlights how God and man are, are, are working in this relationship. We are broken and we are weak, yet God has a place for us at his table. I love that. You see that in Psalm 23 at the end. Regardless of our flaws and our shortcomings, God has a place for you and me. His love and mercy has no ends. It's abounding forever and ever and ever and ever. God gives mercy to us so that we can grow. We see that in David. David had a that mercy hand of God upon him and he grew to become a man after God's own heart. So we must also give mercy to others to help others grow. If you receive mercy from God, you need to give away mercy so that others will grow. You know, my favorite part, I mentioned this earlier, is when other people grow in the kingdom of God. That's why I'm in ministry. It's not about uh, having huge crowds and bringing people in the altar call and mass salvations and thousands of people cheering and celebrating. It's about one person having, having that light go on and say, I understand mercy. That's what it's all about. And I need to give away mercy to help others grow. Let me give you three points to walk away with. Number one, his mercy leads us to repentance. The address that you can find that is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. His mercy leads us to repentance. When you realize that you're Mephibosheth in this story, and you're, if you just humbly accept what he has, that mercy should leave you to repent and turn away from your sin and really let your salvation flourish by working at it and growing and giving up the things that are creating that separation from you and the king. His mercy leads us to repentance. The second one is, is mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2, verse 13 talks about this concept, mercy triumph over judgment. Do you realize today our world is full of judgment? Everybody is waiting like a lion to pounce on anything said, positive or negative. They want to run with it or they want to tear people down because judgment is the number one thing that we're doing in this world. But mercy triumphs judgment. And we see that in James chapter 2, 13. Both of those have songs written about them and are key parts of those songs, those worship songs. But here's the last one, and probably this is the one that I really want to preach today. His mercy can bring the world together. The son of David, Jesus Christ, is a merciful king, just like David was to Mephibosheth. And he wants to bring the kingdom together. Right now, we are separated. Right now, we are full of judgment and anger and division, even if we're all Christians and we can't get together. And we need to look at mercy as the thing that will bring the world together. Looks into what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Fill my joy by thinking the same way, by having the same love and sharing the same feeling, focusing on one goal. If there's any consolidation of love, if, if we're really encouraged by Christ, if we're really living in the Holy Spirit, if we have the affection and mercy of Jesus Christ in our life, we are filled with joy by thinking the same way. By having the same love, sharing the same feeling, and being focused on one goal, which is giving away mercy. What would the world look like if from now until next year, for one year, every act that we did as Christians was mercy? How do you think the world would be impacted? This wave of mercy given to people who don't deserve it. Because in this world, there are many foolish people. But in this world, Jesus' mercy is endless. What would it look like if we just gave away mercy for the world, for a year to the world? There would be this wave of mercy, and people all over the world would start to know Jesus for who he really is. Just like as King David gave Mephibosheth mercy and how he changed his life, that would be, uh, we would see that throughout the world to millions and millions of people. But instead, We give judgment, and division, and frustration, and anger, and not mercy. God wants us to understand mercy. There's a woman, her name's Dana Akuri, and she writes devotions, and she's an author, and here's what she writes. Our job on earth isn't to criticize, reject, and judge. Our job on earth isn't to criticize, reject, or judge. Our purpose is to offer a helping hand Compassion and mercy as Jesus did. We are to do unto others as we hope others would do unto us. What happens if we started just giving mercy every day, waking up going, Lord, I'm gonna be a merciful uh, uh, person like King David was to Mephibosheth. I'm gonna give mercy constantly. Stop criticizing, stop rejecting, stop judging, but offering that helping hand, that compassion and giving mercy. Doing to others what we want done to us. That's what God wants. We need to grow in that mercy. A mother once approached Napoleon, that fearful leader, seeking a pardon for her son. But Napoleon replied to her, Woman, your son has committed many crimes. Twice he's committed two heinous crimes that deserve death. Justice requires death. And the woman said to Napoleon, I'm not asking for justice. I'm pleading for mercy. Napoleon says to the woman, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, mercy is not deserved. It's given. It's not earned. It's given away. It would not be mercy, she said, if he deserved it. Napoleon looked at her and she says, mercy is what I'm asking. And he had this epiphany, and he says, well, mercy I have, and he pardons her son. He had this moment of understanding mercy. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It's freely given. And Jesus wants us to understand that. Our world needs mercy more than anything. And I think it will help us change this world one person at a time. Two things are endless in this world. The foolishness of humans and the endless mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the face of mercy. And we too also need to be the face of mercy and watch this world be transformed. I hope you got something out of this today. I want to go back to what Paul was writing in Antioch. And here's what Isaiah writes about the future kingdom, the kingdom that we're living in today. Incline your ear and come to me. Here, and you, your soul shall live. Your soul lives in the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies, the promised mercies of David from God. Listen, receive, hear what God has, and take this mercy and grace, and he will make a covenant with you. Will you just bow your head, and let's use today as an offering to God And if you're watching right now and God is calling you into a relationship with him, you're feeling that mercy come to bring you to the repentance, you can repeat this prayer of salvation with me and you too can be a part of the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you and we're so grateful for your grace and mercy. Lord, open up our heart and eyes to understand who you are and your love for us and your endless mercy. And Lord, teach us to give away mercy from this day forward so that we can transform and change this world one person at a time. Lord, I know many are watching this and a a few people, someone special is hearing God's voice right now. And I ask if that's you today, will you just receive Jesus by saying this prayer? All you have to do is repeat after me with your mouth and your heart ready to receive God. Here's the prayer repeated after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again for me. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to walk in your ways and live out a life of mercy through Jesus Christ. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for my salvation. Father, use today as an offering to God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. Share this message on Facebook or with other people and continue to invite people to church. It will make your life better and more impactful and this world will be a better place because we are on a mission to love the world one person at a time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.